Good morning. We'd like to welcome you all here on this snowy Sunday morning as we come together as God's people to worship him and to fellowship with one another. Please stand as we begin our worship together through song.
have come to praise you today. And we thank you for all that you've done in our lives, in this world, that you have indeed lifted us from the grave and given us life. And let our worship today reflect our gratitude and our hearts of thanksgiving and our desire to put you first. Thank you for being present with us. Let our worship honor you and we ask this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. Morning again. want to uh, note that uh, tonight our small groups uh, start meeting again after a break from the holidays. There's an insert in your bulletin that lists the groups. would love to have you be a part of uh, a group if you're not already. And uh, just note uh, places and uh, one, at least one of the groups begins next week instead of tonight. But we'd love to have you be a part of a group and uh, please uh, take note of that. Um, Wednesday evening our ministries are on regular schedule and next Sunday morning worship at 829, 40, and 11. There are always uh, items for us uh, to pray about. Uh, you see an, a list of them in the bulletin. And we want to certainly remember the uh, Orla family uh, at Elizabeth's death earlier this week. And her funeral service will be here at the church this afternoon at 2 o'clock. And there are other needs and burdens both locally as well as around the world as we ask for God's grace and mercy to be at work in our lives and in this place and in our world. This morning's scripture comes from the book of Mark, chapter 2, starting at verse 13. Then Jesus went out to the lakeshore again and taught the crowds that gathered around him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collection booth. Come, be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. That night, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to be his dinner guests, along with his fellow tax collectors and many other notorious sinners. There were many people of this kind among the crowds that followed Jesus. But when some of the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with people like that, they said to his disciples, Why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call sinners, not those who think they are already good enough. This time I'd like to ask the ushers to come forward, and children's, children ages 2 to 5 are dismissed for Children's Church.
Christ, who is Lord of all, that we pray. And as we spend a few moments praying together, if you'd like to use the altar rail as your place of prayer, please come and join me. Father, we we come in a spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving this morning. We come recognizing our need and acknowledging that you are the answer to our need. 
in this moment of silence, we pour out before you the burdens that are on our hearts, things in our lives, things in the lives of those we love, things in our wider sphere of influence in our world. Hear our prayers. Father, we come today acknowledging how much we need you. We have to admit that so often our pride gets in the way of being who you want us to be. We are looking for instant gratification and instant comfort instead of trusting your long-term plan for our lives and the deep joy that you want to give us. We know that too often we hesitate to trust your plan and your way. We so quickly judge instead of offer mercy. We are so often willing to play games in the way that we relate to one another and instead of simply coming before you and coming before one another in a spirit of openness and transparency and honesty. Father, we pray that as you have accepted us and as you are at work in our lives, give us grace to love and accept and offer compassion and mercy to one another. We live in a world that is searching, yearning for love and compassion. And we pray that you will make us channels through which the world receives what you desire to give. We pray this morning, Father, for the burdens and the concerns that we bring with us today. We ask that you would comfort hearts that are grieving and that, that you would heal minds and bodies and spirits that are broken and in need. We pray, Father, that that you will continue to work in our relationships, that they will grow deeper and deeper in you. And in our world of 
pain and heartache and famine and disease and loss and violence and war. Let your spirit come to bear on our world in profound ways and help us to bear witness to the work of your spirit that we would indeed be channels to bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. We thank you for meeting us at our point of need. And we pray that you will continue to work in us as individuals, as a church, in the wider communities in which we live, to be witnesses to all that you are and all that you desire to be and to do in this world. We offer our prayers to you through the name and the power and the grace of Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus, I'm frail, I'm so very weak, my faithfulness fails, my courage will flee, but you are my rock, my shelter and shame, when I burden down, you'll carry the
Father, in your grace and mercy, we cast our cares upon you. We know that you hear us and that you're at work in us. And we pray that as we continue in worship, that your word would speak deeply into our souls. That we would be more the people you've called us to be. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. The scene didn't make sense. He was lying in the street, bleeding the the result of a hit-and-run driver. He kept, all he was saying was, don't take me to the hospital, please. He just kept repeating that over and over again. Don't take me to the hospital, please. People gathered around him and said, look, we, we need, to, need to get you some help. He said, no, don't take me to the hospital. I said, why not? Because I work at the hospital. And they, I wouldn't want him to see me like this. I'm a mess. They, they've never seen me without you know, everything looking great. And I wouldn't want him to see me this way. But you need medical attention. Well, I know, but besides that, I, I just took a public safety course. And, and I wouldn't want the instructor to be so disappointed with me. I can't believe this happened. I just got done with the course. Now just, just I'll be all right. But you got to do something. This is bad. So well, not only that, he said that the admissions clerk at the hospital gets really upset when you don't have all the information that she needs. I, I didn't... You know, I, I don't know who hit me. I don't even know the make and model of the car. I didn't get the license number. And besides that, I don't even have my insurance card. And you know how they are of not having your insurance card. It's a real stickler for details. I, just, just let me crawl to the gutter and I'll, I'll, I'll be all right. Fred Smith tells this little parable and he says, as crazy as that sounds, it happens in the church all the time. He said, no, that's true, because last night I asked a group of, of Christians if on Saturday night they, they experienced uh, the hit-and-run effects of some unpardonable sin, some, uh, some, some sin that if people just didn't, couldn't handle, would they go to church the next day? And to a person, they said, no, I don't think so. I wouldn't want people to see me after that. And we hear that, and we think, okay, something is wrong with this picture, Right? And yet we all get it. We all understand because something in the back of our minds believes that the church is for people who have it all together. The church is for people who have figured out life and, and, and have been and are at a place in life where they don't deal with unthinkable sins. The church is for people who are holy and, and godly and, and who have everything figured out about what it means to be a follower of, of God. That's what the church is for. That's what's in our minds. We, we know that. We, we think that. And even when we say no, in the back of our minds, that's what is there. That's the idea we're wrestling with. But that's not the idea we get from the scriptures. In the Old Testament, Isaiah says, when he's talking about the Messiah, all we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone's turned to their own way. 
we come to the New Testament, in the passage we read this morning, Jesus is beginning to gather together his disciples. And he's walking along one day and he sees Levi, or he's also known as Matthew, who is a tax collector, and he says, come follow me. Now, it's a pretty amazing thing that Jesus would choose a tax collector. You know, we all are a little bit apprehensive when we get a call or a letter from the IRS. We don't probably like to hang out with people from the IRS. They just make us a little bit nervous, right? And in that day, it was even far worse because the the tax collectors in that day had a lot of autonomy. And they would often take advantage of people and take lots more taxes from them than they needed to and pocket the money themselves. They were despised people in that culture. And they were not people who were particularly connected to the temple and to worship. And Jesus stops Matthew and says, come follow me. And if that's not enough, that night Jesus is found at Matthew's home having a dinner with not just one tax collector, but all of Matthew's questionable friends. You know, the, Mark describes it as he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. And you use your imagination as to what sinners means. Just let it run wild and then you're probably right. Tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, say, to, they pull aside some of the disciples and they say, what in the world is Jesus doing? He started making these declarations that he's someone from God, that he's a great teacher, that he's got some new message. What's he doing? What's he thinking? And Jesus overhears them and he says, I have come for people who are sick. Not for people who think they're not sick. And in that phrase, Jesus sets the tone for what his kingdom is going to look like. He sets the tone for what the church is going to be like. That it is a place for people who acknowledge their sinners. And that's why as we're putting together this this purpose statement, our vision statement that we started talking about last week in the bookmark, and we've got more in the back, and if you didn't get one last week or if you want another one, take some. But, But that's why we put on this bookmark that one of the things that we want to be identified by is when the Spirit empowers us, when we become the church that God wants us to be, we will acknowledge our personal and corporate brokenness. We want to be a church that acknowledges our personal and corporate brokenness. And quite frankly, that goes against the grain of how we tend to see the church and how we tend to think about ourselves. But here's the reality. All you do is you look at this little story from Mark's gospel and it's repeated in Matthew and Luke as well. And you find that the alternative to that mindset of acknowledging our personal and corporate brokenness is spiritual pride. It's being like the Pharisees. That's the alternative. That's the opposite of it. And spiritual pride leads us as a body of believers 
not to, the th- to be the people God wants us to be, but it, be, it leads us to think most about, in the words of advertising, protecting our brand. That's what we, we give all of our energy and time to protecting our brand. This is who we want to be. This is the image we want to portray. And we will do anything and everything to protect that image because image is everything. And so we want to give people the impression, even though deep inside we know it's not true, but we want to give people the impression that we've got it all together. That we're a group of people who, who is, is above other people. That we don't wrestle with this stuff. That we're good. That, that we have arrived and that that's what the church is about. And even when we don't say that, we subtly send this message that that's what we are wanting to be. Now let me be clear, that's the goal for us. The goal is that we are people who are holy that we are people who are changed and transformed and we're different. We're not saying that we are acknowledge our, our brokenness so we just stay there. We just recognize that if we ever want to be holy people, if we ever want to be the people that God created us to be, it begins and it continues by acknowledging that we are broken people because the only way we can be changed is through the grace of God. And the only way the grace of God is able to get into us is to acknowledge we need God's grace. That we are needy, broken people and we will be nothing else. We will, be, we will never be the people God wants us to be until we acknowledge that. Not just once, not just a few times, but we live in that spirit of recognizing, acknowledging, affirming that we are broken people. And we need Christ. And the only way we will ever be any better, any different, is if we come to Christ and acknowledge that truth. Individually and corporately. So I'm convinced we are most like Christ when we embrace weakness. And that's hard for us because we tend to want to give off the aura of strength. But when we read Philippians chapter 2, among other places, we, Paul says, Have this mind that was in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. And taking on the form of a human being, he humbled himself, became a servant, even to the point of death. And Paul tells us that's the mind you need to have. A mind of embracing our weakness so that God can make us strong. It goes against the grain of everything we think about in this world. We are continually taught to be strong, to not let people see our weakness, to not be vulnerable. That's how you get ahead in this world. You never want to, to let people think you're vulnerable. You think, you know, you talk about, you know, uh, if, you, if you meet a, a, a dog and this dog is beginning to, to make you a little nervous, you know, the, the thing you tell you is, don't let the dog sense fear. 
Because the dog senses fear and they come after you. And so you're trying to put on this persona of I'm not afraid. Inside you're shaking to death. But you don't want to put on this persona you're not afraid. And we do that with each other all the time. There were, there were commercials back in, I don't know, the 90s maybe. Uh, of uh, I think it was dry idea deodorant. And the whole thing was don't let them see you sweat. Now, part of that is good. I mean, who wants to see people sweat, Right? I mean, we, this is a good thing. But of course, underlying the whole idea of the advertisement is if people don't, you don't want people to see you sweat because you don't want them to think that you're worried or anxious or fearful or vulnerable. And part of that commercial is, is I remember one of them was a, a football coach who said, you know, everyone is anxious. Winners don't let people know that. And that creeps into our ideas and our mindset about what it means to live, but that is completely contrary to the mindset of the church. In the church, we have come together to be honest and transparent And it's okay for people to see it. In fact, we are declaring that unless people see it, unless we begin to be honest and transparent with each other, we can never be the church God wants us to be. We can never be the people God wants us to be. Paul tells the Corinthians that that in one of those moments when he was really wrestling with, with the things that God was allowing in his life, and he says in the 12th chapter of, of 2 Corinthians that, you know, he says, the Lord said to me, it's only in your weakness that I can make you strong. And it's only as we acknowledge our weakness and our vulnerability and our struggles and our brokenness that God can do something with us individually and corporately. But we fight that continually because when you're vulnerable, when you make yourself vulnerable, you can get hurt. And the reality is we probably will get hurt. That's what happens when you're vulnerable. But there's no other way to be the church that God has called us to be than to acknowledge our brokenness and our struggles and our burdens. And that's why I, I love the metaphor for the church. And there are different metaphors that, that are working in my mind. But I think one of the most profound metaphors of the church is a hospital. And I love that image because you think about it in a hospital. There are people in the emergency room. There are people in the operating room. There are people in life support. There are people in intensive care, in recovery rooms. There are people in step-down units. There are people in regular rooms. And there are actually some people who have been healed enough that they can help other people in their healing process. But everyone acknowledges that the only way to healing is staying connected to the great physician and recognizing that we are all needy people. And sometimes we have in our minds that that the best metaphor for the church is country club. You know, we have it all together. This is for people who are, who are in the right class. They have, they've understood the right things. They've figured out all the right stuff. 
And nothing could be further from the truth. It's a hospital. It's a place for broken, hurting people. When, when we have we failed, when we've fallen short, there is no more appropriate place for us to be than the church. This is the place we come to find healing through the grace of God. And yet more often than not, it feels like it's the exact opposite. And we have this in our minds that, well, I'll, I'll, I'll connect with the church once I get all this stuff figured out. Once, once I get my life in order, then I'll come to the church. And part of the reason we think that way is because too often the church gives off that aura. And what we want to be saying, what Christ is trying to help us to say is that, no, 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 no. This is the place where we come to find healing, to, to get ourselves together, to begin the path of getting better. Because we're all in the same boat. We may be at varying stages of illness and brokenness and pain, but we are all in the journey. We are all struggling. We are all dealing with our human brokenness. And we all need Christ. And what we're calling the church to be is is a place where we give off a different kind of aura. It's hard. You know, it's difficult. I was reading last week, I think, a, a blog by Tim Tennant, who's president of Asbury Seminary. And it was titled, Going to Church When You Feel in Despair. He said he was meditating on Psalm 142, and it's a psalm of, of lament. It's, it's a psalm that talks about the pain that the psalmist is going through and the struggles. And, and, and in verse 4, he says, I, I could find no place of refuge. And Tennant says that he, rem- he remembered that there are other translations for that verse that says, says I could find no sanctuary. And, and it reminded him that, you know, for centuries... The place where Christians came together to worship, we called it the sanctuary. And we tend to still use that language here. And it really means a place of refuge. And, and in some places, it was literally that. Someone on the run, someone who was trying to escape someone else, could come into the church and find sanctuary and a safe place to be and protection. He said, we don't like to use that term so much anymore. In our, in our more modern contemporary places, we call them worship centers or celebration centers. And, and there's certainly a place for that. It's a place where we come. And something about that, that idea, that, that, that description makes us feel that when we come, we, we simply, everybody has to be happy. And everybody has to have everything together. But maybe sanctuary is still a better term. Because the reality is, there are a lot of times when we come together and we don't feel like we have it together. And we feel despairing. And we are struggling. And we've had a week in which we have blown it numerous times and we have been struggling. And this ought to be a place where we can come and we can say, that's 
what it means to be the people of God together. That we come to this place of sanctuary and we can be honest and transparent and know that we will find compassion and love and grace and encouragement and help and strength as we go through our journey together. One of the most brilliant things about the the, the Methodist movement and what John Wesley did was as he created class meetings and, and the, I guess you'd call them the hardcore class meetings, the bands, they would get together a group of 12, 15 people and, and, and they would gather around every week and they would ask each other at the very least two questions. And one question was, what spiritual victories have you had this week? And they would share and they would encourage each other and celebrate together. And the second question was, what... What sins have you committed this week that you need to confess to the group? As I've said before, boy, if we tried that today, talk about clearing a room, that would probably do it, right? And they would share the sins that they had committed that week. And everyone did it because the response of the group was not judgment or condemnation, but it was compassion. And it was identification, and it was support, and it was prayers, and it was encouragement. And they talked about ways to help each other in the week to come. No wonder historians tell us that more than likely the Methodist movement, more than Methodist movement had a huge influence on prevent, keeping England from going through the kind of revolution that France did. It totally transformed people's lives because they could come together and they could be honest and they could be transparent and they could find grace. And that's, I think that's God's intent for the church. And it doesn't mean that we come and and we we talk about our, our sins and our brokenness and we just pat each other on the shoulder and say, well, you know, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter what we do. Not at all. We, we want to be changed and we want to be healed and we want to overcome. But we have to recognize where we start and where we continue. I guess it's sort of like developing sort of a 12-step approach to the church. That we, we say to, to each other and to the world, we're the whole Wesleyan church and, and we're broken. And we keep telling each other that. And the point of a 12-step program is not to just sit right there and say, we're broken and that's all there is to it. It's to get us to healing. Because again, the alternative to acknowledging honestly, transparently who we are and the stuff that we deal with and the struggles of our lives, the alternative to that is spiritual pride. And we know what happens to the people in Scripture who are immersed in spiritual pride. So what does it look like to be a church that acknowledges our personal and corporate brokenness? I think it is this mindset of transparency and openness. And 
a sense of humility and honesty. And, and, I, and there are right and wrong forums to do that. I mean, Wesley recognized that even with the class meetings. They didn't, in their large gatherings on Saturday night, that wasn't necessarily the most conducive time to do that. But the small groups were. That's one of the reasons why the small groups, Sunday school classes, Bible study groups, that's why they're so important. Because they give us an opportunity, an outlet, a channel, a place to begin to trust each other and to get to know each other. And as that trust begins to grow, we can be much more honest and transparent with each other. We're trying to develop that. That's why we keep doing small groups. That's why we keep encouraging these, these smaller settings so that we can have that kind of atmosphere. So that we can find a place in the church to be honest and transparent and to acknowledge our brokenness. And what's interesting is that as we acknowledge our personal brokenness, it will create an atmosphere that communicates to other people our corporate brokenness. And I'm not sure there is anything more more appealing to people who are wondering about the church than to see that we are a group of people who acknowledge we don't have it all together. That we're a group of people who continue to struggle despite what God has done in our lives. Who are trying to walk this journey together to what God wants us to be. And not because we are special, but because Jesus is. Not because we have it together, but because he does. Not because we've accomplished anything, but because he has. And we've just simply come to the place in our lives, individually and corporately, where we just want what Jesus wants for us. You know, years ago I read Chuck Swindoll telling about a, a marine buddy that he ran into one day years later. and He said, of all the people in my, in my unit that I would have never dreamed would be a, become a Christian, it was this guy. And yet here he was telling me how he had opened his heart to Christ and become a Christian. His life is transformed. He said, it was amazing. And as they talked, the guy said, you know, the one thing that I miss is getting together with my friends at the neighborhood bar. Because in that place, we just let down our hair. We could be honest with each other. We could share our faults and our struggles and, and the stuff we're going through. And, and there, wasn't, there wasn't judgment. There was just conversation. And he said, Chuck, I have not yet found that kind of outlet in the church. I've not yet found a place in the church where I can be honest with people and not receive back from them judgment or frowns or quoting scripture verses to me, anything but compassion and acceptance. And Chuck Swindoll said, I, just a month or so later that I happened across something where someone said that, that the, the most profound counterfeit for the church is the neighborhood bar. And most people have said, don't go to the, the neighborhood bar, sort of the, the cheers kind of mindset. They don't go to the neighborhood bar, most people because they're alcoholics, but because God has created us to be people 
to love and to be loved. And to want relationship with others, genuine relationship. And we will look everywhere we can to try to find it. And I believe God is calling the church to that mindset. Again, not to come in that mindset and just stay there, but to realize that the only way we will ever be the people God calls us to be is if we begin there. And if continually underlying who we are is this sense of we are broken people that only God can fix. You know, as we were setting up this this prayer tree, if you were in the prayer room, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but but it, I noticed that if the tree got bumped, or even as times when I was putting my leaf in, the leaves were a little bit precarious and some of them would fall out. And as we were talking about that, as this was being set up, someone said, you know, maybe that's a pretty apt metaphor for the church. Because the reality is, we like to think that everything sits in there and it looks beautiful all the time. But the truth is, we get bumped a lot and a lot of times we fall out. And the question is, what are we doing about that? How do we view that? What's the mindset that we have? That the church is only right when it looks like this? Or more realistic? Somebody said East Stanley, the, the best, most profound, beautiful story that E. Stanley Jones ever told was about a little girl who brought a broken doll to church. She was at home playing with her doll and it broke. And the first thing she thought of was to take it to church. Because in her mind, that's where you take broken things. That's my prayer for us. That we would become a place, a church. We'd be identified as a people who acknowledge our personal and corporate brokenness. Because then God can do something with us. Please pray with me. I want to give us just a moment to to ponder, to meditate, to think about what God may be saying to us. Father, it is hard for us 
to be transparent with each other. It's often hard for us to be transparent with you. Give us grace to begin to see ways in which we can be more honest, more transparent. Because we want to be the people you have called us and created us to be individually and corporately. So Lord, teach us. Nudge us, motivate us. Show us ways and and people that will allow us to acknowledge our brokenness. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. I want to invite you to join me in the prayer of confession that's printed in the bulletin. We don't often pray prayers of confession in this service, but it seemed to me that with the subject matter this morning, it would be apropos. I want to invite you to stand as we pray together and then remain standing as we sing the last song. Let's pray together. We confess to you, Lord, what we are. We are not the people we like others to think we are. We are afraid to admit even to ourselves what lies in the depths of our souls. We do not, however, want to hide our true selves from you. We believe that you know us as we are, and yet you still love us. Help us not to shrink from self-knowledge. Teach us to love ourselves for your sake. Give us the courage to put our trust in your guiding power. Raise us out of the paralysis of guilt and fear and take us into the freedom and energy of forgiven people. And for those who through long habit find forgiveness hard to accept, we ask that you would break our bondage and set us free. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.
I have a feeling that when we're, as we're talking about the vision statement last week, this week, the weeks to come, there may be questions going in your mind and there's always tension of you know, things that we're talking about. And as someone was talking to me this week, trying to find ways to have more dialogue about that and more discussion. So tomorrow I'm going to open up a, a thread on the webpage for us to just talk through that. If there are questions you have about what was said this morning or even what was said last week, send those to me and we'll get that started because I think the more we talk about this, the more we think about it, the more we process it, the more likely we are to engage it. And so I want to encourage you to, to be a part of that and participate and to, to, uh, to send questions that you have that might allow us to have more and more conversations about who we are as a church and what God wants to do in us and for us. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.